Bring out the talent. Bring out the talent. Bring up. Welcome to Bring Out the Talent, a podcast featuring learning and development experts discussing innovative approaches and industry insights. Tune in to hear our talent help develop yours. Now here are your hosts, PTA's CEO and President Maria Melfa and Talent Manager Jocelyn Allen. Hi, everybody. This is Maria. Hi, it's Jocelyn. We are back again, everyone. We appreciate you joining us for another episode of Bring Out the Talent. I'm so glad you mentioned your name because I almost forgot. <laughs> forgot who I was. I don't, we're on information overload now and you got so much information in your brain. It just all starts to like, just fall out. Yes. So. It, it's like melts, evaporates. It melts. I'm not even sure if it's oh. falling out for anybody oh. else to be privy to. It's just like once <laughs> it was there and then, and then I just don't have it anymore. That's, that's exactly. Yeah. No, but I, I, I do remember your name, Jackie. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Thanks, Martha. Okay. Okay. So let's get started. We have a very exciting episode today, all about leadership, one of our favorite topics. There are numerous studies showing the significant impact that leaders have on the quality of a company's culture. A leader's talent, skill, and knowledge can improve company culture and productivity significantly. In fact, there is a 70% difference in culture quality between companies with inadequate leaders and great leaders. Unfortunately, though, the past several years have forced many organizations to create reactive solutions to leadership and culture challenges, but many of these efforts lack a strategic and long-term focus. This leaves many organizations struggling to continue to involve and face of new priorities. They're like, what should I do? So today we are joined by two very special guests to talk about an amazing Brandon Hall award-winning project that transformed an organization and reinvented their leadership culture. Today, over five years later, the changes that the Girl Scouts of Kentucky Wilderness Road Council adopted continue to make a tremendous impact on the way they operate, how they lead, and how they continuously nurture a transformational workplace culture. Welcome, Angie and Keisha. Oh, hey. Hello. Well, you got a roaring round of applause from the host and co-host over yes. here. Clapping for you guys very much that you are both here with us. Thanks for coming on. And I know you both attended a conference and presented at Training Industry many years ago, and it was absolutely fantastic listening to the whole case study and what led to this cultural transformation for the Girl Scouts. And what I really liked is talking just about, like, I know, Keisha, I believe you asked the audience, like, what do you think of when you think of Girl Scouts? And everybody thinks of cookies, of course. But just that really the Girl Scouts is developing young leaders. And it's funny because you know that, but yet I didn't even think about it like until you brought that up, which is really interesting. I was looking at it as far as like the organization and the organization trying trying to grow and improve and innovate, but not from the aspect of growing young woman leaders. And I know that's probably pretty obvious, but I don't think a lot of people immediately look at, you know, how important the Girl Scouts organization is for cultivating these young women leaders. So that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> okay. <I> love, <laughs> done and done. I guess she's right? already laughing at me. <laughs> she just bring, you bring yes. that energy, Maria. I okay. love it. 
I agree. I was, I was a Girl Scout in a prior life. It was my favorite part of it was all the different skills that I learned. So I just love seeing how full circle the education factor can be where everybody remembers at one point being introduced to it as like a young girl growing up, right? Everybody knew what it was, whether you joined it or not, you're very aware of what the Girl Scouts are and what they do. So now being an adult and working in a certain industry, I'm like, oh, Girl Scouts, they do like they do more. There's development behind it. They expand. There's leadership. They're still doing their thing. So I, I love that we have an episode surrounded around what Girl Scout is and what the leadership development actually looks like for young girls across our country. So Keisha, it's great to have you back, my friend. Thanks for joining us one more time. Thanks for having me, Jocelyn. And I was a Girl Scout too. And Angie will always remind me once a Girl Scout. Always a girl. Uh, I was never a Girl Scout. I was just a brownie and I never did the Girl Scout route. Now I fail. Is it too late? (laughs) You're, you were still a Girl Scout, even as a brownie. And no, it's not too late. You can always be a Girl Scout now. We always need adults. Okay. Thank you, Andrea. (laughs) So we have so much to discuss today. So let's dive right into it. Angie, can you tell our listeners the origin story of how you became your career, uh, specifically with the Girl Scouts of Kentucky's Wilderness Road Council? Wanted to make sure I got that one right. You did. Sure. I started working with uh, Girl Scouts Kentucky's Wilderness Road in about 2012, the end of 2012. We had moved to the area and I had worked with another council leading up to that for a few years. And then whenever we moved to this area, the council area, then I started working um, with the local council where I am now and started out in the membership department for membership recruitment and led a couple of service centers in our council, which included volunteerism, programming, membership, and more the operational side of things. And during that time, this was leading up to whenever we first met Keisha, we were going through some shifts some significant shifts business as far as the way that we were serving the girls and serving volunteers and our constituency. And so the business model was shifting. And so I, at the time, I don't know that I always viewed it as a a great opportunity, but looking now it was trial by fire for sure. Um, But I learned so much. I was fortunate enough to learn a lot in those first few years about the business side of it. And I think because of that, everything that I learned. Then whenever Keisha came on board with us, then I was in a a good place to help identify and help shift some of the the culture work that we were doing because I had gone from operations then to more of the people side of it and understanding that we needed to shift within our culture if we were going to serve the business side. And that's where Keisha really came in around 2015, 2016, I believe, around that time. Yeah. So I've been with the council now for 10 years and I, my title, and I think this is because of everything that I did early on, my title is director of special projects, which means nothing and everything. And so it's, it is a little bit of, of every, there's certain things that I am um, solely responsible for right now, but Otherwise, I kind of float in and out where leadership, if there's a leadership vacancy or if there's support that is needed in a department, the finance department has not yet asked for my help, but that is probably the only department that I haven't worked within. And so we've found that if we can grow our leaders and grow our staff and get them to the point where they need to be, then that's kind of the work that I do. So if there's a leadership gap, I go in, work with those 
individuals and get them to the point where they can do it on their own and then I go to the next project. And so that's really where I am right now as far as the people development side of it and then doing the staff develop for the entire council as a whole. So Keisha, I know when you were originally brought in to help the Girl Scouts, it was supposed to be just to teach a technical class, I believe. Yeah. So, so what happened? Well, this is as much Angie's story as it is mine, let me tell you. I was part of a group of people that helped launch a Salesforce initiative across Girl Scouts of the USA and landed in Lexington, Kentucky and was preparing to teach the class and was I met Angie for the first time and it was kind of like, okay, let me tell you about our people. So, so-and-so, they might be a little rude, and this person, you need to watch out for that, and this person, she's going to look like she's not happy, but that's just her face, and I was just like, wow, that's a lot of information that has nothing to do with Salesforce, what's going on here? And we taught the Salesforce class, and it actually went very well, it was just a, a step in the direction of business development to help implement Salesforce in the council. And I believe we went to dinner afterwards, Angie, is that correct? <laughs> and uh, she was like, so what do you think of our people? Which had nothing to do with Salesforce. But I like people and I pay attention to people. And so one of the things that happened and I was just like, okay, so I noticed this about this person and this about this person. And you might need to really keep an eye on this person because they're not bought in. And but we started having a conversation and before you know it, I was invited to come back as a sales consultant, I believe. And I was like, what mm -hmm. are you talking about? And so I brought it back to TTA, Maria, to your team and said, hey, they would like to do some additional work. Can you help me write a proposal for this? And the first thing we put in the proposal was, let's do some focus groups and actually get to know the people to find out if sales is where we needed to focus or something else because that let me tell you about our people thing kept ringing in my head like maybe there's something a little deeper here and maybe the solution wasn't sales related so that's kind of how the conversations got started and uh, thank you to your team we put together a proposal it was accepted by Girl Scouts of Kentucky's Wilderness Road Council and I showed up to meet and greet some folks and that's where the real work began. Angie, from your perspective, what was the state of the culture when you were talking to Keisha, I guess, in that dinner moment that you had? What was what was your take on what it was like? We were a mess and but I knew we were a mess. But I, it's one of those things that when you've got that, you know, that crazy auntie that is in the back room that you don't always bring out, maybe it's the, you don't want people to know how much of a mess you are. And so if you try to, whenever I was telling her, like, look for this person's face and really they're fine, they're happy, but you may need to say this, you may need to say that. I was trying to control the chaos because that's what we had been doing for so long because that was just part of our normal functioning, everyday functioning, but we were completely dysfunctional, but, and we were moving in a direction, in no direction, really, and we were focused too much on the sales part of it, the sales shifting business model, and we really forgot to consider our people and how it would impact them, and so I think we were seeing how, how that was, what was happening because of that, so yeah, we were a mess, but we thought we had it under control completely under control until she came in. 
Isha, how did you work with Angie and the management team to address this? So what, what did you feel comfortable enough at this time to say, Angie, your team needs help? Or did you feel Angie was so open? It sounds that way at your dinner that you were able to kind of figure it out then? Well, I had an idea at the dinner just because I'd spent a day with these leaders who weren't sure what they were leading. And to be honest, I wasn't prepared to really give any feedback. So I was invited back to Lexington and I spent some time talking to the leaders. And at the end of the day, I remember I was talking to Angie about this recently. I remember very distinctly walking into the CEO's office with her and making sure I wasn't too harsh when I closed the door as I started the conversation. Like I gently closed that door to say, all right, ladies, so let's talk. (laughs) (laughs) And I think the thing that made it easy, it was not uncomfortable, Maria, at all, was up front, the expectation was set that I'm here to tell you the truth. Are you prepared to receive the truth? I don't want to know anything more about anybody else. Just let me see what I see, learn what I learn, and I'll come back and share. And I was just like, okay, nobody's in charge. Everybody thinks they're in charge and nothing good is happening because there is, there was a vacuum in leadership and there were no clear expectations. I could not get the same answer out of two people on what was expected of them. And it was, I was a little nervous because I had never really spent that much time in a CEO's office before, to be perfectly frank, but I just adored the way these ladies responded. So what can we do? There was no defensive posture. There was no pushback. And that's when I think we had the big aha. They knew they were crazy. They knew (laughs) there was chaos. They knew it was dysfunctional. They just hoped it didn't look as bad on the outside as it felt on the inside. And when they realized that it kind of did, everybody was just completely committed to jumping in and doing what needed to be done. No matter how painful or uncomfortable it may be, it's going to work out in the end. And we rolled up our sleeves and I believe we worked at it for about two and a half years. Is that right, Angie? Yes. About two and a half years of just constantly coming back and revisiting topics and getting to know people and finding out what their strengths were and finding out what their passion was and asking good questions. And people started to relax their defenses a little and engage and actually started owning their part of the culture and their part of the work environment. We had crazy moments very crazy moments. At one point, I felt trapped in a glass room at a library and people were crying because of hurt feelings and trauma from previous leaders. And all I could think was if there were a trap door, I would certainly trigger it. I want out. But we stayed and we worked through it. And sometimes you have to identify the pain and work through it and quit pushing it in the corner. And at the end of the day, you're working with people and they have feelings and they have expectations and they have needs. And I think that was the day it was really obvious that the change was in the the, hands of the leaders. It was just, it was scary and horrible and I never want to do it again, but it was also a beautiful moment because it broke through that wall and created a space for empathy and safety and 
honestly, inclusion, and I know I'm not supposed to really throw that word around a lot, but there were so many little factions, so many little cliques, so much legacy drama that we just needed to get it all out there and then wipe the slate clean and move forward. And Angie, if I am exaggerating this moment, you have to let me know because I felt crazy as grown women started to cry with hurt feelings. And I was just like, I don't know if I'm equipped. I'm not a therapist. What are we gonna do? But the truth is sometimes you just let have to let people have their feelings. And uh, so I stayed. It's amazing what an outside perspective can give because it's like we all do. We get used to our environments. We don't realize how crazy some things are. And we all grew up in dysfunctional homes, right? <laughs> Most of us. Yeah. I mean, dysfunction is the norm, not that it's bad or good. It is what it is, right? But so, and then we carry that to the workplace. So you could see how that can easily happen. I'm sure it's happening in probably maybe the majority of organizations today, right? So it's, it really is remarkable that, Angie, your organization, you were open to have this consultant come in, Keisha, and really give it, give it to you, to you hard, hard in a nice way, way and be able to start this wonderful transformation. Well, and I think at the time, it was not, Keisha, you did not exaggerate. You actually made that really pretty. When you were saying that back, um, that was much nicer than what actually happened because it's literally a classroom and you were literally trapped. But I think it's, I think what key, what we learned through that is that we had had a leadership shift. Our CEOs had shifted, and if we wouldn't have had the support of the CEO and of the board to invest resources in this, I think it would have been really difficult. But I think we were all in and we were ready. And like Keisha said, it was the legacy trauma this we're an old organization and so with old organizations come a lot of old things and issues that keep coming up and and i think there were so many things that we just hadn't put down and so the thing that with that situation because it was very difficult i think that what keisha did for us is that she taught us to meet people where they were instead of just trying to kind of gloss over like just I, i'm a I'm a soccer mom, so I'm like, suck it up and get over it, move on. And that's Keisha did for us the, uh, just no. sometimes you have to stop. It may not be comfortable for everyone, but you have to stop and you have to listen and then you can move on, but you have to get it out there first sometimes. I agree with you, Angie. I um, am also somebody who has experienced the Keisha way of approaching, I guess, what would I, what would I call it? Just approaching for lack of a better term, because my brain is starting to not work on this Wednesday, but something that needs to be approached. What is the problem at hand that you need to tackle? And asking permission, I think is like the one basic thing that people overthink and just opens the door to such a wild and more inviting realm of possibilities for like resolving conflict. So I understand the impact that she can make just by saying a simple thing like, well, how about, can we talk about this? Am I allowed to say what I would like to say in order to provide you some really open feedback about where we go from here? Angie, as the director of this initiative, how do you keep it going? Has that been difficult? Are you receiving pushback anymore? And, and what does that look like on your end? I think with the, I'll start with the pushback, the pushback back that we received early on, we and Keisha was part of this meeting. We did have people that literally said, 
this is ridiculous where I'm not doing this. This doesn't assessments don't work. They don't really, they're not real. And they simply just did not identify with the work and they didn't do it. And they are, they're no longer here. And that was, that was not because of that, but it eventually they realized that the culture that we have and that we were creating was not a place that they were committed to. So the pushback that we get now, I would say I've, I've had people on occasion question assessments, um, but I've always taken it back to, I listen to them and then ask what their struggles are. And then we take it back to what their strengths, where their strengths may be in light or dark, what area they're in and how that could apply. So I think the pushback is definitely, it's not like it was in the beginning. We do have some silent pushback and I'll get into that in a, mo- in a minute, but the way that we keep this going is we, uh, as part of onboarding, we do strengths finder assessments, every new person that comes in. They do the top five. This even goes down to our interns. We have social work interns that come in and we may have them for six months or we may have them for a year. And all of our interns go through this program. And so they do the assessment. And then I do a workshop with all new hires about every 30, 60 days, depends on how many new hires we have. We do it all together and they'll go through that. Our interns will go through that. All of our managers, we have a director level, manager level, and then entry level. And so all of our managers what we're looking at for them is that they're the pipeline, their pipeline of leadership. And so we're really trying to develop them in a way that they're comfortable implementing this on a daily basis. And so there is a Gallup has a, of course, Gallup has a 10, I think it's a 10, 10 strengths for managers. And so they go through that. They've all taken that. And then we talk about how they can work with their teams. So we also, with the director level, we do a lot of leadership development through leadership books. We bring it, internal internally we do things externally we do things because we know that that was one of the biggest issues whenever we started working with Keisha is that it wasn't adopted council-wide like she said there wasn't no one was in charge no one was moving anything in any direction and so we're trying to really get this out in a way that people understand that leadership development is not part of it's not in addition to their jobs it is their job and it's not an accessory and it's not just a fun little project that we may be doing. It is something that is an expectation that they're leading their team in this way um, on a daily basis. So we've done that. We did a transformational leadership program prior to the pandemic. And we had, I think, four cohorts that went through that. And Susan, our CEO, she and I did that together. And that was an opportunity for our employees to do professional development, personal development, team development, organizational assessments, and then they wrapped it all up by identifying a problem that we have as an organization and then presenting to us what the solution was. And we've implemented several of their their solutions that we really gave them ownership. I think another thing that we've done, and this is again, I think because of Keisha's work with us, is she basically told us, I mean, she told us a lot of things, but she basically said, no one knows anything and no one understands what they're supposed to be doing. There's no, and I, and I'm sure she said it much nicer than this, but she is, was basically saying you're not communicating. And so we are diligent with transparency and communication. And so we now have biweekly lunch and learns every other Monday that all staff come to us on a Zoom. And there's a topic, either a departmental topic, there's a leadership development topic, there's professional development, whatever it is that we have going on in the moment, then we have different departments 
presenting that. We also have the staff newsletter. So we're trying to keep everybody in the loop continually. And there's not any, I think, whenever we started working with Keisha, it was such a veil of secrecy with initiatives or things that were going on within each department. And we are, like I said, just diligent with transparency. There are very few things, of course, personnel issues and, and confidential things, but there are very few things that that people, everybody is pretty aware of everything that's going on. And we're not trying to gloss over anything. And we are celebrating our failures because that's also when we learn. And so I think that that's, it's become just so much a part of our culture in every little thing that we do. And we just don't allow dysfunction to continue for very long. It's always there, it's always gonna be there, but we just call it out much quicker than we used to be at calling it out and adjusting and, and making sure that it's, it's taken care of. So what do you do when you have two leaders that just don't get along? Like, how do you handle that? We, oh, that's a good question, Maria. We have had that, but I think what we do is we try to create self-awareness, um, create opportunities for self-awareness. We can't create that, but we give a lot of opportunity for that. And we bring it back to maybe what their strengths are and how they're working with each other. And I think it is really identifying what what is the actual issue, if it's a personal issue, is it a work issue, is it a commitment issue, and really try to take it back to that, but also making sure that people understand that we all have, we all have our strengths, and we all have the things that we're going to be really great at, and we need to figure out a way that we're going to combine those so that it's, so that it works, and you're not going to, you're not going to love everyone that you work with, and that's fine, but you do need to respect their skills and their talents and how you can contribute. That's great. Angie, you did mention, so this is absolutely fantastic, all the things that you are doing now. You mentioned that you have this transformational leadership program. So how does that program look like? How long is it? Who goes through it? So that is something that we started before the pandemic. And then we had one cohort that went through it during the pandemic. And we found that wasn't it wasn't as effective the way we were doing it virtually. So we haven't started that back up. But prior, we it was about a four to six months, depending on the time of year, program. And we would meet monthly. And it was our cohorts were 10, 10 or fewer. And it would be staff members that had come on that had been with us at least four, six months. And so that they kind of had an idea of who we were. And so the first session, it was all about strengths. It was the strengths. It was DISC and really going, taking a deep dive into who they were as an individual. And then we would come back the next time. And, and with the cohorts, they were not the same department. So it, they may have people that were in the same department with them, but most likely they weren't going to be somebody that they would work with on a daily basis. So then the next time that they came together, we talked about teamwork and how it is that having the strengths that they had and the communication skills that they carried, then how do they work together as a team, the team that was there in front of them or the team that they work with on a daily basis. And then we took it out to organizational assessments and looking at our organization as a whole. And then we would introduce them to another nonprofit within the community or another community partner and evaluate their organization so that they saw that it's a bigger world than just Girl Scouts. And the nonprofit community and the community that our girls and our volunteers are in is a really large community. And there's different, there's different partners that we need on a daily basis. And so that was 
another one. And then we did, took them to the last, towards moving up to the end, we gave them a list of problems. Like these are, these are problems that we have and we don't know what to do. We don't know how to solve them, but you have, give them the option of you have, you have no budget. So this don't think about the no's, but just think about the yeses. And we gave them a full day to come up as a group, come up with what the solution would be if there were no no's. And then they presented that back out to the director's team and then would be part of the implementation team if it's something that we could roll out in at that time. So it would be about four to six months again, depending on the, the time of year. What else has it had an impact on? I think, and I shared this with Keisha earlier, I think one of the biggest things um, that this has had an impact on is how we manage the pandemic. And we were fortunate enough, we did not have to lay off any employees during this time, during that time. And we were able to keep everyone employed, keep all of our programs moving to the point that they could move. And I honestly, I wouldn't, I don't know that I would still be here or that many of us would still be here had we not done that prior to the pandemic, because I really think that it's the work that we did with Keisha set us up, gave us a foundation to quickly and quote unquote pivot. I know everybody hates that word now, but to pivot um, and make sure that we could still serve the mission. And, and I think it was because of the mindset that we had. And I, and I can remember sitting at the table on March 13th, sitting at the table with Ruby Webster. She's our, um, COO and then Susan Douglas, who's our CEO. And we got the, we were notified that the pandemic, the COVID is kind of a big deal. Like things are starting to shut down. And we were in a planning meeting, like we were planning our year. And this is, we were at the tail end of a program that we were doing. And within two hours, the three of us were quickly, we were able to make really hard decisions about how we were going to function over the next two weeks. And then we were going to, how we were going to function the next six months. And there is no way that we would have been able to have that conversation prior to our work with Keisha, because I, at that point, the three of us, we knew what we needed to do. And it was, there was no ego involved. And I believe that that's really what took us through because we truly just looked at what is the problem? How are we going to serve our people? And that includes our staff and how do we keep them employed? How do we keep them calm and how do we move our technology the way it needs to be moved? And so I think that's probably one of the biggest, the largest impacts that this, this program had is that it kept How would you say you got the buy-in for this, Angie? Because I mean, there are so many levels to this and obviously there were some big problems at hand as you both have discussed as you did dive into an original need that grew into this one. But getting the approval to even go in a different direction is one thing, right? If we're talking about budgetary constraints and just like action plans changing, what about the actual buy-in of the individuals in order to catapult it to the place where it is now, where not only have you seen a change, but it continues to grow and develop itself? I think the buy-in for me, something that I always have to remind myself, buy-in is not 100% that people are in agreement, but they do need to support. So if we're going to have buy-in, we need to support. And I think the first step, Keisha had a huge amount of influence with our staff. And they, by bringing her in, because we had talked to another consultant prior to Keisha, she was quickly, we did not go with her after we met Keisha because Keisha had a way with our staff because she could tell the truth 
but she could tell it in a way that they felt safe and comfortable. So I think that that during that time, that really helped just to, for the people that were at the table at that time helped. I also look at things as that, that 20, 20, 60, 20 rule. They're 20% of our staff. They're our influencers. They're the ones, it doesn't matter what we do. They are on board and they're going to do it. And they're going to, they're going to help us. They're going to support. It's at 60% that we really try to target and make sure that they are feeling comfortable with the changes. And so transparency, communication, making sure that they are understanding the why and that they have an opportunity to ask and that they have an opportunity to give feedback. And we listen to it and we don't just say, okay, that's nice feedback, but we're not going to do anything about it. We try to do something with it. And then if we're not getting support from that 20, 60, from that 80%, the top 80%, then that means it's a problem with us. And so then we need to really go back and look and see the way that we're rolling this out. Is it appropriate? So with the 80%, the top 80%, then that's where we focus. Because I do also think that there's there's that 20% at the bottom that it doesn't matter what you do. They will never get on board and they're there to get a paycheck. And so you just have to really um, make sure that it's not too disruptive. So if whatever you're trying to move forward, are they disrupting anything? Is it going to be detrimental to business? And a Keishaism that we use is either coach them up or coach them out. And that's kind of that 20%. I don't even know if you remember saying that, Keisha. But it's one of those things that you that we have to really look at is, is do we have the appropriate people in place for what we need need to happen? I remember saying that. It's a good one. We use it all the time. Speaking of, of your participation and your role in this, Keisha, in the beginning, I know you part of the instrumental role that you played was giving people the tools that they needed to create their own like internal resources, right? Relying upon themselves, relying upon others. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how you took that on in order to develop the program again to what it is today? Sure. I can't take credit for what it is today, but what I can tell you is that I love working with an organization whose mission I can 100%, 100% get behind. And as someone who grew up in Girl Scouts, who fully loves the mission, is to remind on a regular basis that everything is to fulfill the mission. And in case you don't know what the mission is, it is to build girls of courage and confidence and character who will make the world a better place. So Anytime someone has a a behavior or a skill deficit that does not live up to that mission, we call it out. We have to call it out and remind on a regular basis that everything we do is for these girls to have more opportunities than they have right now, especially in a place like Eastern Kentucky where opportunities are not as abundant as Boston or even Oklahoma City where I am. So for me, providing the tools was honestly to help remind the people who work there that they are seen and they are heard and they are valued and their courage matters and their confidence matters and their character matters. And I think when Andy talks about making a connection with the people is being able to have real conversations about how are you treated? How are you spoken to? How do you speak to others? And how do you want to be related to 
by others? What do you have to do to be perceived as your authentic self? And once we are able to do that, the buy-in becomes easy because it becomes personal, but even the personal is tied to the organizational mission. And so we did a lot with the three C's. Would you agree, Angie? We did a lot about reminding we can't expect to teach the girls to be one thing and operate differently behind the doors of the building. The inside and the outside have to reflect the mission. And if we're not reflecting it on the inside, how successful can we be in the community? And this is a community that needs Girl Scouts. There are girls out there who their, their little troop is their little family. It's their psychological safety. It's their troop leaders are sometimes more accessible than their parents. You know what I mean? Like, this is a big mission. And if you're not here for the mission, go away. And I really have never had a problem saying that. Like, this is not the only job. If you're not here to help make this happen, and you're just here for the check, move. Because there's somebody who's very mission focused. And that mission starts with how we treat one another, how we invest ourselves in the business and the goals we're trying to accomplish, and how we model the behaviors we want our young women to actually follow. And so I think as a mother of girls, that hit me in the heart. And so I was very invested in this project. I was very proud to see certain people do their little 180. And some some of them have risen to very high positions in the council. And they were literally on their way out because they lost sight of the mission and their purpose. And so sometimes it's just about taking the time to get to know the people. And when you get to know the people, you can inspire them to be their own courageous self and to lean into their own strengths and speak up, use your voice. It's important. We can't teach girls to use their voice if we're not using our voices. And I mean, for me, if I look back on like five years ago, I think that was the opportunity I saw that allowed me to lean in. And then having Susan and Angie was everything because they wanted the change. They wanted the truth and they wanted to do the work to make the change happen. I did. How long did I do one-on-ones with your managers? For a year? Years. It felt like a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Monthly one-on-ones with managers who were struggling with taking leadership of their team. And we'd talk about what are you doing well this month? Where are you struggling this month? What can we do? We read books. We, We just did a lot to try to instill that courage and confidence in the employees. Because if you come from a traumatic or toxic culture, and I remember in the library, the fishbowl in the library, Angie, at one point I was just like, there was a point where somebody was really upset and explaining something that happened that had a tremendous impact. And another young woman said, well, I wasn't even here for that. So that's not a big deal. And I'm like, check it out. Once someone has had cancer, you can't ask them to forget the time they had cancer, right? Once you've had it, it changes you. So let's just acknowledge that there was a cancer. Let's just acknowledge that we are in recovery. Let's acknowledge that we want to go into remission 
and let's acknowledge that we're looking for the cure but never ever ever say it doesn't matter that you had cancer because i wasn't here for that that is so disrespectful and i think i got a little passionate in that moment because how dismissive can we be of somebody else's lived experience and i think once we had that that moment and then everybody got a chance to breathe people were like you know what this could be whatever i want it to be and i want it to be better than this and that little spark of buy-in susan and angie and ruby and i we took that and we ran with it and constantly reminded people that you're here for a reason and if you're not you don't have to be here and i think sometimes it's hard to tell the truth it's hard to tell someone if you're not acknowledging the problem you're part of the problem if you're not acknowledging someone else's trauma or pain or needs then you are creating a roadblock to them getting what they need at least be a human being enough to say that was horrible what you went through and we can never allow that to happen again and then once that was done the rest was just easy to me it was just all right let's start working on the skills and building the behaviors and repeating the messages over and over and over again that we are here to build girls of courage and confidence and character and this is how we do that and probably one of the easiest clients to leave if that makes sense as a consultant there are these two ways of looking at success. You can look at success as I came in and I'm still getting paid 10 years later because they can't do it without me. Well, that's good for my pocketbook, but is that really great for the organization? Or you know what? We invested a good two to three years and we established a great foundation and we planted the right seeds. And now those seeds are bearing fruit job well done, I can step away because they have it in hand. And that's how I feel about Girl Scouts of Kentucky's Wilderness Road Council is they've got it. They don't need me. I just show up and visit with them from time to time, call them up, see how they're doing. And now it's just about having a relationship and hearing about their great successes. I literally followed them on LinkedIn and just celebrate their successes with them because they took it in hand. And now they're actually growing a staff based on the same mission that they have to serve the girls in their community. And that's, I'm proud. And I'm really proud to have Angie as a collaborator and a friend because they wouldn't have gotten this done without her. I'm just letting y'all know for sure. <laughs> Would not have happened without Angie Tinch. She's the one who asked the right questions. Susan was, the CEO wasn't even there. When I went to teach that little Salesforce class and Angie was like, hold up, I'm going to tell Susan, we're going to get you back. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. I was so shocked. Susan hired me sight unseen, never met me because of Angie's influence. How could I not give my best to a project like that? And it's Girl Scouts and I'm a Girl Scout too. Drop the mic. Whatever. <laughs> what a journey. I, I, it really is. I mean, it really is such an amazing, there's... I don't even know what to say. That's what happened. I think the last podcast, it certainly inspires me. It's, it's amazing. Great story, Angie and Keisha. It really is. Everybody needs to hear this story. 
Well, I'm really proud of, of Angie and the team's work over there. Yes. And I know they're proud of themselves because they're constantly on LinkedIn sharing all the love. So can I throw a shout out? Like y'all follow Girls, Kentucky, Girl Scouts of Kentucky's Wilderness Road yes. and see how young ladies are developed into great women because I am by the great work they do. I'm not supposed to say that. You can cut that. You can cut the shooketh thing because that was my children will tell me. <laughs> my girls will say, no, don't say that. I don't know. Most of the time when we say things like that and we say cut, David's like, yeah, it's staying in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you both should be very proud of yourself. So (laughs) amazing. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your story, Andrea and Keisha. Thank you so much. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. And now for the second part of our episode, as discussed earlier, the TTA 10 Press the TTA 10, 10 final questions for our guest. All right, Angie and Keisha. So I debrief with you right before we started recording about the TTA 10. We have 10 questions for each of you. We will take turns doing it. So Angie, I'll start with you. I'm going to ask you 10 questions rapid fire. You have 90 seconds to answer them. They're all fun, very playful, just meant to get to know you a little bit better and have a little bit of end of the episode fun, like I said, um, with you. So if you answer the questions within 90 seconds, we will celebrate you. David has a fun little way of doing that for both of you so at the end of both rounds we'll see where we stand and i guess from here angie the only question i have before we get to the 10 other ones is are you ready i'm ready let's do it all right let's do it david give me the countdown or or set me up whenever you're ready 90 seconds on the clock begins now all right angie what is your favorite holiday thanksgiving who is your favorite musical artist? Mumford and Sons. If you could choose anywhere in the world to live, where would you choose? Mm, Outer Banks of North Carolina. How many fingers am I holding up? <laughs> Five. Who is the greatest actor of all time, according to you? Oh, Meryl Streep. Oh, I love you, Ian. Sunrise or <laughs> sunset? Sunrise. Name any of Donald Duck's nephews. Huey? Huey? What is three plus eight? Oh my gosh, math 11? (laughs) What is your go-to coffee order? A grande, non-fat, caramel macchiato with four shots. Hot. And what is the best flavor of Girl Scout cookie? Lemonade. All right. I like it. And that is the 10 question roundup. David, take your notes. We're not announcing it yet, but you have her time. Her score is banked. We can now uh, proceed to our second contestant, of course. And uh, for for Keisha, we will uh, fire up the clock as well. 90 seconds. Are you ready, Jocelyn? I'm ready. Keisha, you ready? (laughs) I'm here. 90 seconds begins now. All right, Keisha, what is your birthstone? It's an uh, amethyst. What is the misunderstood grump on Winnie the Pooh's name? Eeyore. What kind of animal is Goofy? Pretend dog. (laughs) What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? If people show you who they are, believe them. What is your favorite way to unwind at the end of the day? 
legally? I mean, no. <laughs> now I paint. What is six minus three? Three. What is the first day of the week? For me, Sunday. What is a movie genre you can't stand to watch? Slapstick comedy. Who would play you in a movie about your life? Uh, Oprah. And yes. what is the best flavor of Girl Scout cookie? So hard. Peanut butter patty. Or <laughs> Depends on who the bakery is. <laughs> and there we go. There's Keisha's 10 questions. So, David, we need the results, please. Tabulations have been processed. Would you believe that both contestants came in with an identical score of one minute and 14 seconds? Well under the 90-second no. threshold. Oh, my goodness. Talk about alignment, ladies. That's Girls right. Unbelievable. Yes. Well, with this amazing team, you might say it takes two to get a job go, right? Oh, I love this song. Raw bass. Haven't heard this forever. Kisha and Angie. Kisha and Angie. You are both TTA 10 champions. In the tradition of other women of courage, Wilma and Betty, Mary and Rhoda, Cagney and Lacey and Laverne and Shirley, you are a dynamic duo that cannot be stopped. Now that you have achieved this coveted honor, you will be respected and loved by captains of industry, heads of state, master chefs, late night talk show hosts, superheroes, and of course, Girl Scouts. So grab some Thin Mints, some Dosey Dose, and some Caramel Delights to celebrate Keisha and Angie. You are TTA 10 champions. Good job, ladies. Wonderful. Isn't that fun? That was crazy. We have such a blast doing that. High pressure. (laughs) I love it. Um, Well, thank you both for not only a wonderful conversation, but a really fun way to end the show. We appreciate you and everything that you're doing to catapult our young girls into leaders and propelling their futures and are, are, of course, happy to be a part of it. So can't wait to see where it goes. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Great job. Amazing. Today. Great True job. pleasure. Yep. Thanks. Thank you all. Thank you guys. This is great. If you'd like more information on implementing a custom leadership program at your organization, visit us at thetrainingassociates.com. We'll see you later.